0: Welcome to Leaders Lift, episode 14. I'm your host, Greg Cunningham. I wanna say thank you for joining me for this episode. Soccer season is about to wrap up here in Utah. As I've watched my son's team play, there have been several things I've observed. Now, one of them that has stood out, not just with their team, but with all of the teams, coaches, fans, etc It's something that I think has always been part of sports. That's how much those involved seem to focus on things that they have absolutely no control over. This isn't just a sports problem, but in life we tend to do the same thing. We get hung up on things we can't control and lose sight of the things that we can control, or at least influence. That's what I'd like to spend the next half hour or so talking about. I'll start with a story around two games we played against the same team, that's the soccer team. Then I'll have a book recommendation for you. After that, I'd like to talk about how much control we really have and how that relates to my experience with emergency preparedness. I'll probably throw some other stories in there too. Then we can do some heavy lifting around focusing on what we can control and wrap up. Over the last few weeks, I've tried adding some video snippets and even published full episodes. That's for 11 and 12 in their entirety on YouTube. I actually got 13 in there as well. Now, I'm not a videographer, but if that's something that interests you, check out Leaders Lift on YouTube. Almost all of my videos include slides with some of the key talking points from each episode, especially the full-length videos. I'd love to get some feedback on what you think. If it's just the audio, audio you want, then you're in the right place. But if you want the video, check out that YouTube channel. And don't forget to follow Leaders (LDRS LFT) on Instagram or Twitter, and to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player or on YouTube. The idea for this episode came up a few weeks ago when my son's team lost to the top team in their region by a single goal. It was a cold, windy game, and it was pretty miserable to attend. But what got me thinking was the way his team responded to adversity. Spoiler alert, they didn't respond well. When they got behind, there was a big focus on what calls the refs were and weren't making and things that there was no way they could control. They couldn't really even influence any of those things directly. Now, some of the boys got distracted and were arguing with the fans from the other team. All around, it was not a good showing for our team that had done pretty well so far in the year on just playing the game and focusing on the things they could control. The second time we played them, I was curious to see what our approach would be. In the first half, they came out pretty flat. I wouldn't say they were having the same issues as the first game, but it was just a struggle. I will admit that the win played a major factor in the game. My son, who's the goalie, even told me afterwards that he had to play more aggressively and do some things differently because of it. That first half, we were against the win, but I didn't hear the boys using it as an excuse even when they fell behind by two goals. The second half, we saw a whole different team. They were full of energy and were constantly on the attack. They were definitely taking advantage of the wind as well. I didn't see nearly as much complaining about missed calls and there was more support for each other even when mistakes were made. At the end of regulation or full-time, we had tied the game 3-3. That meant we would go into two overtime periods where the first team to score wins. Just as a side note, when your son is the goalie, you want them to score quickly in OT. The last thing you want is for it to go to a penalty shootout. Not good on my heart or my stomach. Now we came out in the overtime just as we had played in the whole second half. We did have the wind in our favor and a minute and 13 seconds in, we scored on a set piece. We handed them their first region loss of the year and only their second loss overall. Now, some might say that the wind made the difference and that is probably true to a certain extent but I think it was more the way they came out and played and focused on their own performance and what they could do to help the team be successful. I'm sure you've seen this all over in sports. Teams lose and the referees take the blame, or the weather, or anything except their own performance. Are there times when literally a missed call costs a game? Sure there are, but how often does that happen versus the number of times someone says that was the reason? It's definitely not a one-to-one ratio. Let me share a bonus story here. In my high school, wrestling was the big sport. I had started wrestling in second grade, so it was a huge part of my life. And looking back at my senior year, and a lot of the years actually, I can see where I had a similar experience to my son's team. Towards the end of my senior season, we had a match with the team, and I was to face one of the top wrestlers in my weight class. Our team was short-handed because of a couple of suspensions, don't ask, And so what normally would have been a pretty easy victory for us as a team looked like we would take a loss our first of the year, especially if I lost my match, which I was supposed to, no pressure. Now, a lot of times when I wrestled, I would get psyched out, more on that in a minute, but for some reason that didn't happen in this match. I was able to wrestle my style of match, which was a more methodical, slow, deliberate style for the entire match. I remember at what at one point where my opponent was frustrated and was trying to convince me and the ref that I needed to be wrestling different, but that didn't make a difference. After the second of three periods, I was down one to zero, which oddly enough is exactly where I wanted to be. I knew that at the beginning of the third round, I'd be in a position to score a point and then for the remaining 90 seconds or so, it would really come down to who made a mistake that the other person could capitalize on. The odds of me winning in that situation were very high. In fact, the only times I lost my senior year were when I got out of my style, and I'll talk about that here in just a second. About 20 seconds into the third round, we were tied one-to-one, perfect. As we continued maneuvering for an advantage, I could see him continuing to get frustrated. I patiently, one of the only times in my life that that word can apply to me, waited for him to make a mistake. With about 45 seconds remaining, he made a pretty big mistake and I was able to take him down. Two points for a takedown, three points for a near fall. I apologize for the non-wrestlers, but for those wrestlers out there, I went from an ankle pick straight into a cradle. At that point, there was really no way for him to get out and all I had to do was stay right there for the remaining 45 seconds. I was perfectly content to do that. His frustration really came through at that point and he actually bit me. My patience, gone at that point. I basically tightened up the hold I had on him so tight that he couldn't move. Two seconds later, I scored a pinfall, which meant I won the match, got the maximum amount of points for the team, and we eventually won the match. Two weeks later, we faced each other again in the regional finals. I ended up beating him by several points, including one point for an illegal hold on his part, more frustration coming through, and I really had control the entire match. Going into the state tournament, I was confident I could keep on that streak and make it through to the finals and most likely face him a third time for the state championship. Instead, in the semifinals, I got psyched out. I faced a wrestler from our rival school that had won so many state championships in a row that I had lost count. Now, this was not one of their top wrestlers that I faced, and I should have beaten him easily. But instead, I let him get me out of my style of wrestling, and I ended up losing the match. For the second year, I'd have to settle for third place when I should have been competing for the championship. And the top wrestler I had beaten twice? Yep, he ended up winning the state title. The lesson here and in the soccer story is that when you let others dictate what you do or when you focus on things you can't control, things easily go downhill. For my son's team, they focused on what others were doing. For me, I let their reputation and the other wrestler dictate my mental state and how I reacted on the mat. If I look back at the whole of my wrestling career, really the only times I lost was when I got out of my style. So what would I have done differently? Well, I would have worked on or gotten help to be more consistent in how I approached each match, especially those where I was supposed to lose. I would have worked on my mental state and then been more deliberate in defining my style and how I would get back into it when I let myself get pushed out of it. Basically, I would have learned to focus on those things I could control, my thoughts, actions, and reactions, and not worried nearly so much about who I was wrestling. Hopefully, you can learn from this. For today's Little Lift recommendation, I'd suggest you take a look at Larry Wingett's. It's Called Work For A Reason. There'll be an Amazon affiliate link in the show notes. Quoting from the inside cover of the book, are you frustrated with the lack of results at work? Have you hit a wall? Are you uninspired, stuck in a rut, feeling underappreciated? Well, good news, your success is not up to your boss, your manager, your employees, or the economy. Good message today. It's up to you, and you is in all caps. Does that sound like it's related? Even if you don't get the connection reading it, it's worth a read. I have a whole bunch of stickies, I read this one before I went almost digital for books, marking the stories and lessons that I thought were most important. Give it a read. Before I talk about focusing on the things we can control, let's talk about control at a bit higher level. I think we need to ask the question, how much control do we, do we really have and over what can, do we have control? For me, I definitely like to think that I have more control than I actually do. There's something in my mind that tells me if I just work hard enough, make very detailed plans to prepare for every eventuality and then execute them to perfection, that will give me complete control. Do you really wanna count the number of myths in that thought? Working hard is something I can control for the most part, but there are still things that might prevent that such as illness. I can make very detailed plans. In fact, that's something I'm pretty good at, but can I make a plan that really accounts for every eventuality? Not even close. Then execute them to perfection. Ninety-nine point nine 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 nine. however many nines you wanna put in there, percent of plans aren't dependent on only me So I immediately give up some control there. Then, because I can't account for every eventuality, see that previous myth, executing on the plan of perfection is a lost cause. So the whole thought that I can actually control things is a myth. In reality, there are only a few things that I can really control. For the most part, I'm using that phrase deliberately, I can control how I react to my situations, my actions, and my attitude. I say for the most part because most of us at some point are gonna to struggle to control our emotions and those impact our actions, reactions, and our attitudes. And some are impacted by this more than others if you think of things like depression, anxiety, and other mental challenges. Now just to plug that if you have issues with any of those, please get the professional help that you need. Now beyond those few things, I struggle to think about what beyond that I can control. If you want any evidence of a lack of control, just think about who the boss is in my house. Is it me? My wife? Or is it the 1-year-old running around? Your parents will understand that. I actually struggle with this thought of control and I've talked about it in a, a bit about I've talked about it a bit in previous episodes. Because of some of my past leadership experiences, I had built this habit of trying to plan for and mitigate all kinds of emergencies. That's led me to a drive to try and do that in almost all aspects of my life. I think doing that kind of planning gives me the illusion of control. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't try and plan for emergencies. I still think plans are absolutely necessary. I'd rather plan for an emergency and not need the plan, or plan for one type of emergency and have something different happen, but be able to work through it because of my planning, than just have an emergency hit and try and go with the flow. When we lived in Houston, I was assigned to oversee our emergency preparedness plans for a group of church units. It was a very large geographical area, and we had somewhere over 2,000 church members in that area. When I first got the assignment, I was very overwhelmed. In Utah, the kinds of emergencies we planned for were very different. Sure, there were the basic things like helping people do food storage, plan for financial emergencies, etc., But in Houston, we planned for hurricanes, floods, terrorist attacks, chemical attacks, and so much more. It seemed like the list was just never-ending. Now, luckily, a lot of the plans overlapped, so we didn't need to have a dozen different plans. It was really just one big plan with a bunch of if-then kind of statements. Our plans covered communication, cell phones, ham radios, and other Calling trees, who checked on who, if certain areas flooded, where would we send folks, how would we help the people, members and non-members, with tree removal, mucking out houses after they flooded, and more and more and more. Now, luckily, I had a great team that helped work through all of those things. The downside of that great team is that they made my preparations look like I had bought a tarp to fend off a tsunami. They were really prepared. I'm not talking about bunkers and all of that. But they just had done a great job of executing on basic preparedness principles. They taught me a ton, but my brain processed the whole experience in a way that's made me think that if I can build those same kinds of plans, I can deal with or mitigate just about anything negative in my life. Talk about a myth. What I have to keep reminding myself is that as soon as a disaster happened, that it wasn't about following the plan to a T or perfect execution, but it was more about taking the core principles in the plan and figuring out how to apply them in the given situation. Now, shortly or shortly after we left Houston, there was a major hurricane that came through. It rained enough that the actual elevation of the city of Houston dropped by a centimeter or something like that. While I wasn't there, I understand that the plan they had worked very well. Homes were still damaged people still struggled and they didn't execute exactly. Generally, we didn't put into the plan how to use freeway on-ramps as boat launches, which really happened, but that they had enough in the plan to start moving and adapt as they went along. They were able to use those core principles. So the lesson I really should have internalized is that more than trying to control everything through expert planning and execution, I should think of this more like a Lego set that has all of the building blocks you need to build whatever is most important at the time. So for all of you listening, keep an open mind about control. It really is fleeting. While we can do our best to control our own actions, reactions, emotions, attitudes, etc., that's really about all we have some control over. There are other pieces that we can influence, it's a slightly larger set, but most things we really don't have as much control over as we would like to think. So if you're hung up on trying to control things in your life, maybe take a step back and definitely keep listening to the topics coming up after the break. Let's take a breather for just a minute. And while we do that, just a reminder to hit the subscribe or follow button. Last week I issued everyone a challenge to pick an episode and share it with someone in your circle. Maybe you have someone in your circle that could use today's episode. Hit that square with an arrow icon and send the link to them via text, email, or through social media. And also, take a moment to check out my show notes. There are tons of resources in there, including links to all the places where you can follow my works, as well as a couple of ways you can support the show. I'd appreciate anything you can do to support the growth of the podcast. Now also I wanna mention that a friend of mine and I are starting a new podcast called Gadgets for Families. This is a tech-oriented podcast that's designed to help people get more out of their life through technology. If you're interested in that, there will be a link in the show notes. And you can follow on Twitter or on Instagram, Gadgets for Families with No Vowels. That's G-D-G-T-S, the number four, F-M-L-S. That's on Instagram and Twitter. The trailer for that podcast is already out and available, and we'll be launching three episodes starting on May 10th. Okay, enough self-promotion. Now that we've walked through some examples of what happens when we focus on things out of our control and some of the challenges around control, mostly the fact that we don't have as much control as we believe, let's start talking about what we should focusing on. When it comes to what is within our control, or at least mostly within our control, it's almost all about us. I know that as leaders, we are taught to focus on others and not ourselves, but this is one of the times where you do need to focus on yourself. Think about a crucial conversation that you're gonna have with a family member or an employee. You can plan for it, figure out what you want to say, know what you are hoping to accomplish, and even schedule time for the conversation. But you can't control if they'll show up, what kind of attitude they'll have, if they're gonna be distracted, how are they gonna react to what you say, if they'll even listen, if they even care. Shall I go on? So in this case, all of the planning in the world could go right out the door the minute the conversation starts. I said this earlier and I'll say it again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare. You absolutely should, but maybe your preparation takes on a different feel or form with this in mind. In that same situation, you could focus. what you could focus on is what you're gonna say, how you're gonna react if they get defensive, how you're gonna react if they don't seem to care, and other things like that, and have those pieces ready to go for the conversation. Let's use another professional example. I've mentioned that I've been laid off a couple of times. Neither time did I see it coming. I had absolutely no control over being laid off. Even if I had known layoffs were coming months in advance, I'm not sure how much it would have changed. I could have controlled how hard I worked, what I tried to do with and for me and the team and those kinds of things, but I couldn't really influence the outcome. Now, some of you may disagree with this and say that companies always keep the best folks. That's fine for you to have that opinion. I would ask you to take a look at the tech layoffs over the last several months. Do you really think all of the people laid off were either mid-tier or lower? And one major tech company has even laid off the, those that were previously labeled untouchable. So just think about that. What you can control is how you react when you are laid off. I've heard of people going ballistic and throwing fits and sabotaging the organization on their way out. But I've also seen others that have been the perfect example of how to handle something like this. I had a boss that got laid off a few years ago. This was before I got laid off the first time, so I didn't know what it was like. He was the absolute professional in that situation. He didn't argue and simply asked what else he could or needed to do. I tried to follow his example both times I've been laid off. I know in one case it actually surprised the VP doing the layoffs when I asked what I needed to do before my access was revoked. How could I help? This is a good example of recognizing what you can control, how you react to the situation, and not focusing on what you can't control. If you focus on things you can't control, like why you were laid off, my manager didn't like me, or whatever goes through your head, it just brings negativity into your life, and it's unlikely to change the situation at all. This doesn't apply for cases of discrimination and things like that, and I'm not gonna touch those. So if that's the case, please handle that differently. So when you think about what you can control, look inward first. Are there actions you can take? Can you change your attitude about a situation or a person? Can you work to get your emotions under control? Can you control how you react? Can you control the amount of effort you put into whatever it is you're working on? I really like that last one. If you think about a department or a company that is struggling or maybe making changes that you don't agree with, in both of those situations, there are a lot of things you can't control, but you can control the level of and quality of effort that you put in. You may not be able to control the actual results, but you can control if you give your best effort or not. For those leaders out there, leaders of organizations or even leaders within your families, I'd advise you to really think about this and listen to the previous episodes when I talked about goal setting, and creating tense, but not intense environments. What people need are goals that they can control and that if they give their best effort, they can achieve. Not goals that depend on your mood that day or how many customers like the product, things that they have no control over. Do your best to set those you lead up for success by giving them goals and targets that they have some control or at least influence over. And then don't expect perfect results, but expect best effort. Now, in summary, if you're going to move forward, you need to start by focusing on yourself because that's really the only piece you have a shot at exerting some control over. And while we can't control much outside of ourselves, there are a lot of things that we can possibly influence, and that's what's next. There's a big difference between control and influence. I can control the volume of my my voice, but I may only be able to influence the the volume of my three-year-old grandson. I don't even know if I can influence that. That's a real life struggle and one where I am absolutely losing the battle. I think he only has two volumes, Really Loud and Shouting. Now, especially as leaders, we need to hone our influence management skills. That's a topic that it deserves at least one episode of its own. What I would say is that we need to be aware in any situation or relationship of where we can positively influence the outcome or the other individual. Being aware can be something you do informally but there may be situations where you need to be more deliberate about identifying what you can influence. Let's go back to the crucial conversation example I mentioned a few minutes ago. If you're headed into a crucial conversation and you know that the other party can easily get triggered by criticism, then that is something you need to identify and figure out how to positively influence. That may mean that you need to build them up a bit, find a way to share the concern in a way that they won't go off the handle, or even decide if it's worth bringing it up at all. Just a simple example. If you know they do their best work in the AM and don't like the unknown, it's probably not a good idea to send them an appointment first thing in the AM for an end of day appointment titled, we need to talk. It might be less of a trigger if you get them first thing in the morning so they're at their best and then don't spend all day stewing about what the meeting might be about. Like most of my other leadership recommendations, this is an area where you being deliberate can make a difference deliberately look for and identify things that you can positively positively influence and then figure out the best way to do so. Now, if we know the things we can control, which is ourselves, and what we can influence, situation or relationship dependent, that leaves the list of things that we can't control. And that list can be pretty big. But don't let the size of the list bring you down. Instead, recognize what you can't control and then try and figure out a way to let it go. When I was Scoutmaster in Houston, we had an overnight campout every month except July and August. No way I was sleeping in a tent in Houston those months. And then several bigger campouts throughout the year. Generally, the big formal Scout camp was in early June, and then we would try and plan for a multi for multiple day campouts when school was out, spring break, winter holidays, those kinds of things. For the monthly campouts, it was almost always obvious which weekend would work for the campout with everyone's schedules. It just kind of worked out that way. The same thing for those bigger campouts. Generally, school schedules dictated when we could go. We didn't have a ton of control over that, but we did have some influence. Now, one of the biggest things we could not control in Houston was the weather. It could rain, freeze, get scorching hot, etc. Even if we looked at the weather forecast a couple of weeks before, what good did that do from a scheduling standpoint? If we already had the date scheduled and the reservations, changes in the weather meant you either went and dealt with it you canceled. What we learned to do was focus on what we could control, and that was planning. We planned the campouts based on the best information we had about the weather, and then we went and for the most part didn't worry about what happened. I remember one Christmas break campout where the weather got really bad, like freezing rain bad. We generally dealt with cold or rain, but together was a bit of a different challenge. The boys did not do a good job of setting up cam, but by the second morning, everyone was wet and cold, and there was really no way to get dry, so we had to cut the trip short. So when you think about situations in your life, it's a good idea to figure out which pieces you can't control, and then find a way, that's personal to you, to let them go and focus on what you can control. That's easier said than done, and I don't claim to be an expert, but I and I really do envy those that seem to be able to do that without a lot of effort. Well, Let's wrap up this section. What we've talked about is you looking at key situations in your life and identifying what you can control, you, what you can influence and what you can't control. And then moving forward. Sometimes this happens in a matter of seconds in your mind and you can move forward. Other times you might need to sit down and actually work through each of the three areas. For those times, I'd recommend you figure out what works best for you to do so. Let me give you a few few ideas. How to figure out what is what. First, try and take a step back and evaluate the situation. You might need to even ask someone not in the middle of it to help you do so. If you're struggling with one of your direct reports, you might need to ask your manager or HR to help you figure this out. If If it's one of your kids, then your spouse could be a great resource. Either way, take a step back and make sure you have a solid view of the situation. Then start making your lists what can you control remember that's pretty much only about you what can you influence and what do you have zero control over this list is important because it can help you change your perspective and in many cases it forms the basis for your plan now one other nuance i'd like to mention here if this is a critical thing you're working on it sometimes makes sense to identify if there is anyone in your circle that can control or influence the things you've identified as being out of your control That's a pretty good exercise. If I think about the family, sometimes one of my kids would respond better to my wife or another of their siblings versus me talking to them. And that's just one example of where I could identify someone that could influence or control things I can't. Next is to make a plan to work on the things you can control. Since that's all about you, you should be able to make and start working on it. This is another area where a second set of eyes can help you. Your boss or spouse could help you figure out the best course of action, especially if you identify them as someone that can help influence the outcome. Add on to this how you plan to exert influence, where you can, and to work with those that you've identified as helping. Finally, figure out and even plan how you're going to let the other things go. This is the hardest one for me. I have a lot of different techniques that I've tried to varying degrees of success. In some areas, I have to completely walk away from a situation for a while. Other times, I've asked my wife to step in and handle some things where I knew that I would try to exert control but couldn't. I've also learned that finding a distraction, something I can control or influence, to replace the thing I can't can be effective. I've also had to learn that sometimes I just have to turn the dial way back and take a break or at least not be so intense about something. I'm very passionate about my kids pursuing their dreams and reaching their fullest potential. And what I've realized over the last few years is that my passion is gonna have very little influence on how far they go in life. That's something I have absolutely zero control over. There are some things that I can influence, but that's about it. So what I've had to do is dial back my intensity in those situations. My top two recommendations for letting things go is to find and focus on the things you can control. Let those distract you from the things that you can't control. Focusing on them means you be, won't be focused on those things you can't control. And then number two, learn to dial it back as needed. Those work for me. Do you have any other ideas? If you do, please share them with me. All right, so what are the results of changing our focus? At this point, we've talked about control, what we can control us, what we can influence, what we can't control at all, and some ideas around how to let go of things not within our control. Let's wrap up the episode with just a few things you will get out of moving your focus away from things you can't control. First on my list is that if you do let go of the things you can't control, I think you'll find more peace in life or at least less frustration. Second, this helps you identify things you should be focused on or working on and things you shouldn't. Making that change will help you stop spinning your wheels in areas that won't make any difference. But hey, go ahead and keep kicking that brick wall if you want to. Third, you learn to develop plans that are more like the generic Lego sets that have all kinds of pieces and you can put them together in a way that suits the situation. Fourth, going through this process helps you identify course corrections that can improve situations or relationships. See my course correction episode. Fifth, when it comes to relationships, you will also focus more on what you can do to improve the relationship rather than sitting there hoping the other person will change. We've talked about that in relationship episodes. And sixth, and I hope this doesn't happen often, but identifying what you can and can't control could help you decide to move on from a situation or a relationship. If you identify that there's truly nothing you can do to improve a situation, think about a toxic work environment, then remember that you can control how you act and react, and that means finding a way out, even if you have to get help to do so. I know we'd all like to have more control over life than what we really do. And I'm not saying there is an easy way to figure out how to deal with the lack of control. What I am saying is that if you move your focus away from the things you can't control and start focusing and acting on the things you can control, mostly yourself or influence, then that starts to shift your life. It's a type of course correction that can help you get more out of life. The situation may not change, those around you may not change, but your perspective and what you decide to do could change, and that can make a huge difference in your life. Thank you for tuning in. If you found any value in this episode, please share it with others and drop me a note. I'd love to get feedback from you. If you've been trying to figure out how to access the show notes where there are tons of great resources, you can also get them on my website, www.mountaineboconsulting.com. Each week, I post the episode transcript and show notes as a blog post on my homepage. Check it out. And remember, we've got the new podcast Gadgets for Families launching on May 10th and the trailer is available now. Well, Thanks again for your support. Now go out and keep lifting.